Welcome to episode 49 of Game Dev with a Shot of Jameson. My name is Jameson Doral, and I'm a game designer with 20 years of experience, and I like to help people learn more about video game development. Today we have the return of Aaron Hamilton Cook to the show. He's now the associate executive producer at Lost Boys Interactive. We talk about his return to AAA game development, crunch in the industry, and a whole lot more. Don't forget you can join the conversation live every Wednesday at 7 p.m. Eastern over at twitch.tv forward slash Jamison Doral. There's a link in the show notes if you want to come get your questions answered live next time. But for now, let's get this episode started. What's up, buddy? Hey, hey. There we go. How's it going? Man, it's so good. It's been... I don't know. Start starting a new job at this level, like it's just really gratifying. That's that's awesome. <laughs> I love yeah. to hear that. Yeah. Do you want to you want to dig into that a little bit now, or do you want? Because like I think where we were was you we hadn't even got out of your casino gaming. Like we were finishing up the talk of that kind of part of your career, and sure. then we didn't even talk about kind of your move back into AAA. So. Do you want to start there? Do you want to talk about what you're doing now and then kind of bounce around? We can do whatever tonight. Whatever makes good content, man. Um, we can well, start wherever. If that's the case, then we should talk about what you're excited about. And that sounds like your new job. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, it's it's the kind of thing like if people are hiring producers, uh, they have problems to solve. And the, the higher level producer that they're looking to hire, the bigger problems they, they tend to have that they need to solve. And yeah. so, like... I wasn't disillusioned that like I'm going to join and there's going to be a cakewalk and I'm going to like, of course there's problems and there's, there's things to to dive into, but there it's not anything outrageous or ridiculous or anything. Um, it's just, uh, I don't know if you remember, uh, John LeBaron. Oh yeah. Yeah. I know. John. Yeah, so well. we yeah. were, uh, I just got off the phone with him. Uh, we were catching up, uh, probably 30 minutes ago and, uh, he he was talking to me about like oh yeah you left you, like we stopped working together around this time and I was like man yeah I went from producer to associate is executive producer in like six years that's a crazy pace that's nice like like when I actually <laughs> think about it that's insane yeah um so yeah it's been it's been good though uh I like I like the team that I'm gonna get to work with they're very uh, I don't know. Everybody there seems really nice, and, and there's some genuine passion behind the project. And and you're it's with a really cool. Sorry, go ahead. You're with Lost Boys Interactive now, right? I am. Yeah. Okay. Is yeah, that a is, is it a relatively new studio? Relatively, uh, past like four or five years, maybe. Okay. Uh, gotcha. They kind of came on the scene. Uh, they've done some co-development work uh, for some some different partners. Uh, and you know they they do that's kind of been their bread and butter but they've had uh this idea in their head of like oh it'd be really cool to uh to do this this particular type of game and um you know they 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 got a publisher that agrees with that and thinks it'd be successful and so they're uh they got somebody to agree to pay them to make it Um, nice yeah so i don't know how long they've been pitching it but there's already a bunch of art that's put together they have a good you know, game design doc kind of fleshes everything out. Uh, so it's it's still early days on the project. Mm-hmm. Um, 
it, it's it's I, I love I love that being in like early so that you get to kind of shape what the end product gets to be a little bit. Yeah. Because you know, when you join when you join late in in the life cycle of something, it's very like uh you, you don't you don't get to have as much influence. And not to say that like as a producer, I want to have a ton of influence over the design, but uh, I want to make sure that we have considerations for like accessibility. I don't want tiny UI because uh, that's a problem that's been plaguing particularly like Ubisoft games, mm. um, where like it's a really fun experience, but everybody shrunk the UI because they wanted either like they play tested on like their dev machines and never sat down on a couch and played, or uh, they wanted to get UI out of the way of art, and so uh, I don't know. It it, it just for me, it makes for a frustrating experience when I can't really read what what the like mission says or some important bit of dialogue in a, in a text-based game or something where, uh, you know, that, that, that usually is critical information and I hate when it's just so tiny you can't process what it even is. Yeah, it's interesting because I think we all kind of through our experience find things that either are pet peeves for us or things that we have have wanted to be different, but been unable to make sure changed in prior projects. So they yeah. kind of are front of the mind things for us, but those end up being different things for different people. Right. So if each of us kind of come in and be like, Hey, this is something I care about. This is something you care about. Mm-hmm. Hopefully there's enough of that that comes together that, that fixes some of those problems. Yeah. Yeah. I know that I know a big one for you is like colorblindness, right? Oh, yeah, like, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And, and like, I don't I don't mind if you don't have colorblind filters, but I really hate when you make a game that should like you've color coded like your loot system mm-hmm. and it's not colorblind friendly. Yeah. Yeah. And you're colorblind as well. So I am, yeah. Yeah. Now do you still yeah, do the uh, contact the contacts that, that help? I with still that? have it. Um it's just nauseating to wear because it's oh, like really? it's just so much stimuli. I'm not used to seeing colors that, that vibrant or that vivid or that clear and so uh it's it's exhausting i I feel like i'm just being bombarded with like some edm show so like visually (laughs) right like i'm just not used to it you know that's what these glasses are for me they're in chroma oh are they yeah yeah and uh it's funny because for so i first got the sunglasses and i and i just got straight up sunglasses from in chroma and I would wear my, my regular contacts so I could see the world. And then I would put those on when I would go outside. Right. And yeah. it was interesting because, you know, I could see colors better. The big ones for me are like browns and greens. Things I thought were green are actually brown. That kind of stuff happened a lot for me. Yeah. Um, but then they developed. So I'm, I'm heavy Dutrope. And so okay. they developed a specific Dutrope focused lens that's indoor. So I got this with my prescription in it. And these are the glasses I wear all the time now. And okay. for about the first month or so, I was like you. I was just like, this is a lot. My mind is like constantly, I noticed it, you know, like I was, I constantly noticed it. But now this is normal for me. And when I don't have them on, everything looks really weird. Okay. Maybe I just didn't wear it. I didn't wear it daily. So maybe that was my issue. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Also, you I could try something like, like this oh, we've too. we've got a big art review. I'm going to throw my contact there. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, maybe you should try wearing it daily, especially working from home where I can have a little bit of control over my environment. Right. I'd be curious to see, because like what you were using was, it's like a single contact you put in, right? That like... Yeah, it goes in your non-dominant eye. eye, And it's like, 
some crazy heavy filter and your brain like splits the difference. And it's just like, well, this eye seeing this and this eye seeing this. They're both probably wrong, but if we average it, it should be right, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that, that's kind of how like that's how it works. It just tricks your brain into processing it correctly. Yeah. It's interesting. Correctly. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, the spectrum is such a weird thing, too. Like, I always wonder, do we see the same things? Like, like would, would someone else's eyes see a color as I doubt yellow? It. I, doubt like, like, I doubt, like, <laughs> the, you know, normal vision people see red the same way. Like, the same shade of, the same shade of red. Because right. there's also, like, you know, emotional and societal influences on how you, like... Oh, my toy fire truck when I was a kid was that shade of red. And so that's, I have this positive memory of it. And so I see it in this way. And then there's somebody else who's like, no, man, like that was the same color as the thing that happened when I broke my arm. Like my bike was that color. So I have a bad memory of that. Like there's, there's all kinds of weird influences that I'm sure tie into all. Yeah, smells do that really bad, right? Yeah. Like smells bring up so much different things from your past. It's crazy. Yeah. So, uh, somebody was asking about your guitars. Uh, what, what do you have back there? Is that a, somebody, is that a five string bass, a 12 string electric or acoustic? What it looks like you got a uh, little bit of everything. Acoustic. Yeah, I've got, I've got, a a Martin acoustic, a Martin backpacker. Um, I've got a custom shop Fender Telecaster, uh, a Squire five string bass. And then a Luna twelve string acoustic. Interesting. Yeah. I didn't. I didn't know you played, or I forgot that you played. I've forgotten yeah, way I more played, than I remember. I play a little bit. I've got a keyboard that's like right here. I don't know if you can see it. Yeah, you can see it a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Oh man, we got an interesting question. How <laughs> how easy is it to implement the systems to make games more accessible for those with color blindness? And what would it take for studios to make it a higher priority? <laughs> what's been uh, your experience in that yeah so usually it comes down to biz dev saying it's something that we have to have uh it's I, i've seen projects where it's been implemented early on and i've seen projects where they throw it in last minute yeah um, there are easier ways to implement it last minute but it's not as it doesn't work as good it's not as clean yeah um it's it's basically like a filter over the whole screen versus uh creating a different color palette like i think portal did it from the get-go by having like uh a different like they had different color palettes that you could choose from right or that you could adjust or something um that made it uh, more like th th if you consider it up front it's way easier the the further you get into development as with any discipline or any concept or anything the harder it is to implement or consider um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That's one of those things. Uh, I had uh, Tara Volker on here a couple of times, about, and she's like guru accessibility in general. And mm -hmm. the constant thing that came up was regardless of what accessibility part it is, it is imperative that it be considered early, right? Like if you yeah. really want to do it well, and I think we're getting a lot more tools and things like that to help with this, but there's not yet the the havoc of accessibility. You know what I mean? Like yeah. there's not that tool set that you, or at least that I'm aware of that you can buy. But... No, there's, there's like a, there's like an accessibility certification that people can get trained in. There's 
studios that specialize in implementing accessibility, but uh, like they're a codev studio that just does accessibility, right? Like they don't do anything else. They don't make levels. They don't do. They're just like, yeah, we'll get the your, we'll get your colors to look right and your fonts are replay. That's it. Yeah, it's crazy. And like, I think these days we have to look at a at a company like Naughty Dog and and the the full like you can play Last of Us two being almost I think maybe even completely blind like they have mm-hmm. built in everything across the spectrum as far as accessibility goes and and I think are that beacon that the industry needs to look at but it it, it was a major objective for them right and, yeah. and I think that's something you have to you have to like it, it it's it's weird because like. Uh, when when we first got in the industry, when I did, or even just over the last 10 years, it was an afterthought. Like you mentioned, it was like, oh, what do we throw in at the end to help the people? Like we weren't thinking about it until at the end because it was like I remember so many times I would hear, well, that's only 5% of our players. Why are we going to put resources into that? And I'm like, man, you're thinking about it the wrong way. Like that number could go way up if we accommodated to these yeah. players. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and the, the way that I... Uh, so there's not there's not incredible accessibility in like slots mm. uh and that was a big thing that i'd pushed for while i was there was like you know people would complain about like well why do we have to put this up on this screen and down on this touch screen down here like it's already up there and it's like yeah but you know our player base some of them have mobility issues and issues with like their shoulders and right. things like if if we can make our game easier for them to use we will increase our player base. Yeah. and it is it's going to cost us how much to implement and it's going to be like the profit, the ROI on that is going to be a hundredfold easily. That is an incredible it, ROI, right? Like, yeah. like that is insane. Yeah. Cause, cause like the things that you're implementing, it's like, it's going to take one engineer, two weeks at most. Right. Um, the right that's engineer. Gonna, yes. That's going <laughs> to expand the audience that can consume that immensely. So, yeah, it's totally worth it to implement these things. And that so and that's that's the other thing, right? Like we've gotten to the point now where the value is there as well as just the 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 well-meaning. You know what I mean? Like we should do it just to make our game more accessible for people, you know? Uh mm-hmm. and but now we're at a place where it's being shown that not only should we do it, but we must do it because it's yeah. also profitable, right? So I think we yeah. finally got all the brains in the same space seeing that this is not just a, you know, this doesn't cost us. It's it's yeah. only a good thing now. Yeah, and, and, you know, back to the point of, like, if you consider it up front, it, it's so easy to implement. It's so, like, you know, to, to, to just consider at the beginning when you're doing your this is what these colors mean and this is what they mean in this this like colorblind version that's yeah. way easier to implement up front and to make your to like do to just quickly grab those hex codes and do your variants as you're going along yeah man yeah. it's just <laughs> i can talk about this all day but <laughs> uh, yeah <laughs> but i do want to talk i'm really curious about oh wait hold on before we do this I haven't dealt with colorblindness personally, so it never really occurred to me that some people might not be able to see the same color palette on art assets I've made. Are there any good resources that explains the basics of what color palettes are for people who suffer from it? Oh, man. There there are some, like, 
relatively affordable filters that you can buy. Um, if if you're doing anything on uh, Mac or PC, uh, when you're doing your art efforts, you can uh, like on Windows, it's like ease of access. There's like a colorblind filter, and you can go and you can turn on like grayscale to see is there enough difference in value. Uh, and if you've got at least enough difference in value between things, then it doesn't necessarily matter what the colors are, but you can also cl click through different, uh, like how people would, would need to see things or how it would need to be adjusted uh, on those different filters. Uh, and then um, the one on Mac is even more robust where you can go into their like accessibility suites uh, that's built into the OS and kind of click through those things. There's also software that, uh, integrates into like Unity or Unreal or, or like Maya or whatever. Um, I don't remember what the software packages are called, but they're like 50 bucks um, where you can kind of go in and, and make those adjustments nice. uh, on the fly and kind of see like, oh, how does somebody with, you know, uh, I forget the name. It's like Triptotronia or, or Deutotronia or... Yeah, Deutrope, um, Tritrope, yeah. Yeah, you can you can kind of flip through them really quickly to see... Uh, how people might see things, look at things grayscale. Yeah, it, it, that's one of the easier ways to do it is just if it's still legible grayscale uh, and if it's still legible when you color invert um, or, or do grayscale and color invert, then you're probably in the clear uh, with it being legible. It doesn't mean that people are going to see it the way you're intending necessarily. Right. Yeah. Man, I don't even know how you know that. Uh, like how you can ensure that someone sees it the way you want them to. Like that's, it's just such a, it feels so abstract in a way. Yeah, I don't know. I'd have to ask my fiance. She's an artist and she might have some more insight on that. But that's, yeah, that's very like high concept. Yeah. It's yeah. weird because like I don't, I don't understand color. You know what I mean? Like I, I, I see color, usually the wrong mm -hmm. color. I'm seeing colors better now, but color is so far out of my vocabulary because it, or out of my knowledge set, because it's not something that I, that I have as a truth. You know what I mean? So, so I, I tend to uh, not care as much about things that related to color because I don't appreciate color. Is that, does that make sense? Yeah, no, I get that. Yeah, I, and I, I'm, I'm imagining we had a similar moment too, where like you, you first got your glasses and you're like, holding things up to people and you're like, this is blue. Right. <laughs> and they're like, yeah. very good. And like yeah, <laughs> patting yeah, yeah. you on the head. I'm like, Oh, like you don't get it. <laughs> yeah. Or, or, uh, my favorite, my favorite moment was like some, my boss was like, we got to go to the paint store. Like, and I was like, what? She's like, no, trust me. Like, we're going to go to like a Sherwin Williams. We're going to look at all the different color samples. Uh, and like, it's going to blow your mind. And I was like, okay. Sure enough, we get there, and I was like, this is insane. Like, there's so many more options than I thought. Yeah. And then, and then I was, like, looking through some of the things. I was like, wait, this is orange? And she was like, yeah. I was like, oh, that's disappointing. <laughs> Just kind of put it back. Like, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I thought it would be cooler. <laughs> yeah. It's it's used in, like, construction, and it's supposed to be this, this like, important color to let you know, like, there's hazards and things. And I was like, oh, I mean, it's okay. Oh, I just realized I can ask you something that I have never thought to ask another colorblind person. So do you see weird artifacting when certain colors are on top of each other? 
Yes. So where there's like a weird like haze yeah, or like a it's or almost got like a shadow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like if I see a bright blue with a red in it, that red looks like it's moving around. It's mm-hmm. sitting still, it's a static image, it's it's physical and it looks like it has movement. My eyes just do not know how to process it. It's mm-hmm. really weird. Yep, I get that all the time. Man, people don't there's I don't think people understand what that's like. <laughs> It, you haven't yeah, and it's it. like infuriating <laughs> to try to read something where it's got those like oh, those kinds of backgrounds. Yeah. yeah, there's some digital clocks in my house that when I look at it, the numbers jump around, and I'm just like, I don't, I can't look at this clock. Like I can't use I, it. I have, I have <laughs> one that's in my kitchen that if I'm not standing like closer than six feet away, I cannot read. Yeah. Yep. My my it's just oven like a blue is that way. Blur. Yeah. Man. We're going to sit here and bond over colorblindness for the next two hours. <laughs> no, seriously, though, I, I do want to ask. So you were, you know, you were doing your casino stuff and you shipped a lot of those titles. And then at some point you decided you wanted to move back into to AAA, right? So yeah. what, what was that like? What kind of made you make that decision and start looking to, to move out of that? It was, it was a few things. Um, it, it wasn't like any one thing. So... Uh, I, I was looking for more advancement opportunities and to take on more, um, and was being given the, like, well, now's not the right time or, uh, you know, we, we were, we really just, you need to pay your dues a little bit more. And it's like, and how long were you there? I was there four years. Mm-hmm. So it's yeah. like, that's some good paying dues know. time. Say what? That's some good pay and dues time, right? Like that's yeah. You've been there a I little while, so. yeah. Yeah. Um, there were some discussions about like, oh, well, you need to know the business better. I'm like, I'm on the COO's strategic committee for the Americas. Like, I think I know the business pretty well. Um, so it, it was just like a lot of little things like that where it wasn't given getting uh, you know, within striking distance of any kind of advancement opportunities, uh, despite overperforming uh kind of coasting in in the role that I was in like I wasn't I wasn't being stretched or 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 stressed or anything in any way um so I I didn't feel like I had any more growth there so that was yeah. one aspect of it um and uh you know there there was the the whole covid hit and that entire industry is is very like physically based you have to people have to go gamble in person for that segment of the industry i was working in to be profitable let alone lucrative right um and so like when when covid was hitting china before it had like crossed borders or or people were aware that it had crossed borders Mm -hmm. uh it was it had already been like a six percent hit to the company's quarterly revenue which is insane because like I think the quarter before that we had done 2.3 billion in revenue and for a 6% hit from just one nation, like I was like, Oh, this is, this is going to be a problem. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so yeah, COVID hit and we had to do like furloughs and things. Uh, there were a lot of austerity measures that were explored and I was like, well, definitely not going to see, any any sort of like raise or advancement or anything like that now like 
we're in survival mode. We got to get on the other side of this thing. Um, and there was somebody there that was like, I think she was like an associate producer or a producer. I thought she was great. I was already kind of looking around and, and, and on my way out and I wanted to try and help preserve her job. So I was trying to like find something that felt right as fast as possible. Uh, so that she didn't have to lose her gig. Um, oh yeah, because I knew I knew like if I left, they'd keep her. But um, if I didn't leave fast enough, then they'd they'd like get rid of her, and then they'd lose me. Yeah, and then that's the team rough. would be without leadership for a while, or there'd be like a weird transition period or something. Um, so that that was part of the motivation to try and do it a little more quickly. And then the other thing was just like there's a lot of people that don't realize how how similar or how how alike uh slots are to AAA and um i felt like it was it was hindering my my opportunities uh, like outside of slots can can you talk about that a little bit like what kind of things do you do you know what people were misconceiving or there so there's there's a morality issue that that oh. some people get into with okay. like Oh, you work on gambling products like you are an immoral person. Jesus. Um <laughs> they they just leap to that kind of assumption. Yeah. Uh and so not knowing that it's so regulated, you could like there's nothing you could do in there to no, like mess yeah. with it. There's there's no way <laughs> it's so crazily intensely regulated. Um yeah, and then so there there's like that aspect of it. Uh there's some people that are like, well, that you don't make real games, right? Like you don't, you don't solve real game development problems. You just, mm. you keep reskinning the same thing over and over. Some game companies do that. Uh, you know, there's plenty of places that that's that's the way they find a math model that works, and they just keep putting a new skin on it over and over because it ain't broke. Why why fix it, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah but I just need to just AAA does that too, stigma. right? Like yeah, I know. <laughs> Well, and, and, you know, to talk about gambling, like loot boxes were a huge thing at the time. Yeah. Um, and it's like the, the loot box for Rocket League is literally a one real slot machine. Like it literally, it spins, it has the same profile. Like we actually looked at Rocket League to improve our spin profile because they ah. had such a good one real slot machine. Interesting. Yeah. We were like, oh man, this is a great example of how to do slots. And it's Rocket League with their loot boxes. So... Yeah, I mean, and I love that game. Nothing against it. Yeah, uh, no, I I get it. I get it. Yeah, but it, yeah, there's just there's this like weird. I I don't know if you've experienced the like wasn't made here, so we're not going to use it. There's there's a weird kind of you don't you don't do exactly what I do, so you don't know how to to do these things, or yeah. it's you know, um, yeah. I, I, there's a lot of people that just don't realize how similar, uh, game to like tech development is across yeah. the board right it really like is yeah especially at the production level right like yeah. it's it's all about what are we going to build how does it break down into the pieces that that it's going to take to build it who's going to do it how long is it going to take them like the, the the questions and answers are the same it's just a matter all that is different is the end result really yeah yeah it's 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 the difference between like Okay, you're gonna sit down and bake some pastries. Like you're still gonna use like flour and butter and eggs and like if you're gonna have some kind of rise to it, you're gonna use some yeast, right? Like there's it's still the same ingredients, it's just 
the the proportions and how you mix those things together as to whether or not you get a loaf of bread or a cake, right? Like, yeah. I don't know anything about baking, so maybe that analogy doesn't hold up. But <laughs> me either. Sounded <laughs> fine to me. Like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> are you uh Are you drinking any? What are you drinking tonight? I'm drinking water because last time we did this, I had a Godfather. Uh-huh. Uh uh-huh. And I was I was feeling it. Yeah. Yeah. Man, I think you you're doing it wrong. Then <laughs> I think I am, but I. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Wanted to pace myself this evening. I understand. I got this third yeah. shot that I'm going to take real quick. Uh, I also have coffee and water. So I've got the trifecta of, of the nectar of the gods. All three of there them. Alcohol, coffee, and water. What else do you need? Truly. I'm just saying. Yeah, I don't know. Tea, maybe, for me. But that's that's a personal choice. Well, to drink, I mean. Oh, yeah, you come, that's, in, that's you come what I was in with your tea. plain liquid, someone says. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> These three liquids get the job done. I got caffeine, yeah. I've got alcohol, and I've got life giving water. Well, I mean, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm good. Good. Yeah. All right. So you, you decided you wanted to make this change. Mm-hmm. How did your, your, because this is something people are always curious about is I want to change jobs. I want a new job. What, what, what did that look like for you? How much do you remember as far as like, what was the, you know, how many companies did you reach out to? What, you know, how, who did you hear back from? You know, that kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, I feel like when you get to a certain point in your career, if you're, if you're like halfway decent at networking, if you're, at least okay at your job, right? Like you're going to get hit up by recruiters uh, at a semi-regular kind of cadence, um, especially production because you're very much in like a leadership role and there's always some project that's kicking off that needs somebody at the helm in, in some capacity, right? Uh, so so there were already recruiters hitting me up, um, but the, the way that I got the job at Certain Affinity was I reached out to Mike Kilborn. He had just started there. Uh, and we we got to talking about his new job while uh, we were all back at Hall of Fame, and uh, and he was just like he was like yeah man like we you know I'm working on this project right now we really need producers um, and he talked to me about the company and he had a lot of positive things to say about it and so uh, first thing I did was hit him up and was like hey are you guys still looking you know because it's it's around probably May at this point. Uh, so a few months had passed, and we, we'd kind of gotten into things a little bit. Um, and, yeah, he he was like, yeah, absolutely, send me your resume. I'll, I'll put you through an internal recruitment system. And, uh, yeah, it, it uh, kind of worked out really good where he he got me in front of the right people at the right time. And... Uh, they liked, uh, they more or less liked what I had to say. Uh, I and that's the other thing too. I had applied for lead producer, uh, and they made me an offer for senior. Um, so you know, I think that might be worth pointing into some people that like, just because you don't, you know, it's it's more important to get the job and to get in the door than it is to to necessarily have like the right role. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and they were like, yeah, we, we think you're great, but you know, to, to our ear, you sound more like a senior producer right now. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if that's just, you know, they're playing hardball and negotiating and, and trying to keep I their don't think so. or, uh, or yeah. if say again, I was going to say, you know, I I've seen this a lot and I think generally what we do as an industry is we put out a position for an ideal candidate, right? Like some, like we would love someone that can feel all of these things, right? Mm -hmm. But what really matters is that we bring in someone we feel can, can be a, a good contributor in, in that space. Right. So, oh, for sure. So like if like, and yours was a great example of them being like, Hey, maybe you don't quite meet everything that's on this list, but we think you're a super valuable addition to the team. So we're going to alter this role for you. Right. Yeah. And, and that's what happened to me with insomniac actually i was i was uh interviewing as a senior designer and then all said and done they're like actually you're you're a higher level than that so we're going to change that position to to something else so i was like great you know that that works out great for me you know yeah yeah and some in some places it's it's like i i think in the instance of certain affinity and i don't know i never asked um but i i suspect it has something to do with like well, we say that you have to have this many years of experience and yeah. you don't quite clear that bar, so we can't put you at that level. Right. Um, it, there's a lot of, there's a lot of like HR policies that are in place like that at a lot of companies. Um, I, I think that's really probably what it came down to is I, I wasn't be. quite yeah. clearing like a, a, a year bar somewhere, but I had everything else they needed. So they, they made an offer for the lower level position. So, Anytime that happens to someone, what I tell them is if you are happy with the compensation and the the job requirements and the things you're going to do every day, it's actually better to come in lower because that means there's more opportunity for you to grow in that company. Oh, for sure. So, yeah. so like you, you probably were in a position where it was like better for you than you were anticipating because of that growth potential. Yeah, I, absolutely. And there were, there were, there was a lot of like really good learning that I had there. Um, uh, you know, Dan Sutton and uh, who, who I believe you had worked with. Oh, before. I've, I've known Sutton for a long time. Yeah. 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 <laughs> he was, he was great to learn from and work with. Uh, there was this, uh, who what Chris, I'm so bad with names. Uh, I can't remember his last name, but Chris was great to work with. Mark Davis was great to learn from. Uh, Kayla Ramachandran. She was this like ex Ubisoft person that they brought on as a lead producer she was incredible like she she's the kind of person that like makes you realize you need to step up your game and it's not like she's doing anything to like undermine anybody she's just so on top of things that you're like man i could be better like yeah she it, it, it would it would often be the thing where, like i would think about oh we should probably get this in place and get this thing together and then I would like reach out to her to to pick her brain on it real quick. And she would have just finished doing that thing. <laughs> and I'm like, dang, man, like you're fast. That's that that's a great mentor, right? Like someone yeah. that you can like pick someone that's always a step ahead of you, like is a really good example. And I, I mm -hmm. love that. Yeah, and like we didn't have like a direct like mentor mentee relationship. We were kind of co-leads on this massive effort on halo um but it like just by being like in the same space as her and, and getting to see how she worked was really enlightening and really it was really cool to like learn in that way where it wasn't this like 
a sort of formalized relationship and we were just coworkers and friends. Yeah, dude, mentorship, like, and this is something Grant talks a lot about and is, you know, there's, there's different types of mentorship and that, that like, yep, I am your mentor and you are my mentee, I think is way less common than the, Hey, you're someone that I look up to. I'm learning from you and you're part of the people that I feel as a mentor to me. And I think we all have tons of those. They're super valuable. I don't think you need a, like a, a label to it as much as being like, yeah, this is someone that's a mentor for me, you know, and that's cool. Sure, yeah. I'm learning. Yeah, I never, I had never considered it that way. I always thought it had to be this like super formal thing. And maybe that was just me like not allowing shit to happen and, and like getting in my own way maybe. I think you were, you were getting the benefit of it whether you called it that or not. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's yeah, something yeah, that yeah. just kind of happens naturally. And, you know, there's, it's funny because like one of the reasons that I, I love to stream and, and this stream particular is because I, I love the mentoring aspect of it. I love to teach people about what I've done. I know what they want to do. Any information I can give people to help that makes me feel good. So I know there's people that think of me as a mentor that I don't know think of me sure. that way. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And, and I, and like, and just that thought makes me happy. Right. So, so I'm like. That makes me even more excited about doing this. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. No, I, I definitely, I think I have been in that situation where like, I, I didn't, I didn't realize I was mentoring others. It, it, it occurred to me at, when I was leaving CA where there were a couple of people that reached out to me and they're like, before you leave, I have to pick your brain about these things because I've really looked up to you. And I was like, Oh, that's so sweet. Like, right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And a lot of times you don't know and, and, yeah. and they don't know for you, right? Like I always have people around me where I'm like, I like how they approach this, or I want to know more about how to think this way, you know, and, and that's all learning for me and I'm learning from someone. So that's, it's, a am I'm, I'm, they are a mentor to me regardless of what it's called. Yeah. Like five minutes with Dan Sutton is a masterclass in charisma. Like <laughs> that dude just oozes positivity. You should ask him sometime about when we were on Red, Red Faction Armageddon in a room was me, him, Drew Holmes, who was our, our lead writer, who's now like a creative director at Ubisoft, and uh -huh. Brian Traficanti, who's the creative director for the new Saints Row. It was just the four of us in this room together, and it was the best time I've ever had sure. in a room. Like, ask him about it sometime because we, we had an absolute blast in there. It was so much fun. All right, I'll, I'll I'll have to hit him up and ask him about that. I got to bring him on here. Actually, I'm glad you reminded He'd be me. A great person to yeah, have on. I need I need to actually I need to text him later. Yeah, he'd be he's he still has that like intensity though. Uh, oh yeah, where he talks really fast and is like that's his personality. Way too enthusiastic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. So yeah, M maybe he comes with a warning label. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it'll be fun. I'll just ha I'll have yeah. to drink early and be ready for the excitement. <laughs> sure, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's good times. So when you got so you got over to certain affinity, that's where you yeah. ended up. And how long were you there overall? I was there just over a year. So I started in uh, June of last year, and I, I left mid-August. Like I left last week. Last right, week, my last right. week there. Yeah. And so you were a senior producer there, is that right? Yeah, I was a senior producer. I joined, and I was working on uh, one of their 
it, they've done lead, lead dev work before, but it was like, this was like a big one, right? Yeah. Like this is like a triple A lead dev effort. Um, and so I joined and I was working on that. Uh, there were a lot of politics around that that I can't get into. Sure. Uh, that uh, it, it became necessary. It, it wasn't anything like, anybody like any other production team was doing necessarily but it became necessary for us to uh hand ownership of that project to another team and to for all of us to kind of move on to other efforts within certain affinity yeah um and so i had like a week where i was kind of floating and i was like i have to get laid off after like three months in austin <laughs> and like have to find a new job uh and then they were like oh yeah so you're gonna go work on halo and i was like wheat Heck nice yeah, that sounds fun um i was like that'll be a great feather in my cap there so, you go yeah yeah went went and started off working on btb and we had, uh which is big team battle um it's one of their multiplayer modes and uh we we had been kind of pitching them some different ideas for some other things that we could work on uh and they liked some of it and uh you know that that contract got signed and we started working on that project so i got to lead that as well as uh btb uh, while i was there um yeah it was it was a really cool it was a really cool project and a really cool effort uh to get to be a part of um you know it, it, it's one of those things where like the more you work on things that you haven't worked on them before the more nuance you realize there is that goes into it yeah like I've worked on, I've worked on shooters insofar as like I've worked on Dying Light, but that didn't, I didn't work on a multiplayer component of it. I've worked on, you know, military sims, um, but that's very different than an arcadey shooter like Halo, where like, you know, a military sim, you're actually trying to increase site plans and and make things more authentic and more realistic. Right. And with with Halo, like you're you're making decisions where it's like, oh, we need to limit for site and we need to limit choices and we don't want anything to be overwhelming we want it to be a thing where you can zone out if you want to and, and just kind of experience the game and like that was wild to see uh from like a level design standpoint how that how that plays out and i was like oh this is so different than anything i would have ever done yeah uh in, in the past right so it's it i don't know it was a really good learning opportunity um and I'm really excited for the game to come out and for, for people to be able to see it and see all the hard work that went into it. It's going to be an incredible. Does it have a launch uh, a launch date yet? Uh, there there was one that was circulated internally, but nothing that was ever published. Okay, I, I couldn't disclosed. remember if it was announced or not. Yeah, and and you know, like with things like that, they never even even when something circulated internally, like that can still push for any number of oh, reasons right absolutely like, <laughs> and so often yeah, i wish I, it would so <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah so I, I you know i don't know what the I, I know what it might be i don't know what it actually is. sure and sure, until yeah, until yeah. you know marketing or biz dev or whoever at 343 says this is when it is i i don't know absolutely yeah yeah definitely not trying to pry i was just curious if it had been announced. no i get it i get it, it I, i'm just trying to because I'm sure there's a lot of people watching this who have seen people who are like, really, you're in this position and you don't know the launch date. Like that's, that's why people don't disclose them is because there's any <laughs> number of reasons they might. Really that that's actually a really interesting point. Um, 
And you know, it's it's funny. We as the developers, we almost never want a game to ship, right? Like we we're always mm-hmm. thinking about all the things we want to get in there, you know, and and how much time we have to make it right and and to you know to play well. So like as we're building it, usually we are not like like I would almost every time we get a date, we're like, that's not, that's too soon. You know, like I, I want mm-hmm, more time to mm-hmm. make this thing. So I we are not the right people. Designer thing. It is. Well, that's true. Yeah. I'm sure that's true. But <laughs> yeah, I, I think, never want a game to ship. I think for engine, I think <laughs> I suspect for artists, there's a little bit of that. Um, yeah. For, for, for me, at, at least some of the producers that I've interacted with, it's very much like, no, how do we get this out the door as fast as possible? Like, how do we wrap this crap up? Like, let's let's just get it in front of people. Yeah. Yeah, just looking at, like, a map and being like, I think this is good enough. We can move on to the next thing, right? Right. <laughs> so I will say, though, I never want a game to ship, but I am super happy when it does. You know, because, sure. like, I am someone who, and this is one of the things, you know, over the last almost five years when I wasn't in full-time game dev, the thing I missed so much is that cycle. The... Mm-hmm. The early pre-production where things are a little slower and we can explore a bit, you know, when we get into pre-production where we're now trying to figure out what we're going to make and how and proving some things out. And then now we're like, let's get that content in and production. And then we get into post-production. It's like, oh shit, let's get this thing done. Now we're mm-hmm. like pushing really hard and then it's done. And then we get to reset a bit, you know? And I, I love that cycle because regardless of what else is happening in the world, I have a cycle that feels good to me and I get to yeah. kind of move within that. And I love that cadence a lot. It's interesting. Your, your lulls are my peaks. Oh yeah. Yeah. So like early, early, like pre-production, early production, it's very intense document, everything, plan sure, out everything, sure. get like, build the process, build, like build the engine that will create a game. Uh, and then I'm sure I'm very frustrating to you early on. Stay out of the way. Yeah. Just just back off. I have to be very frustrating to you early on. Right. Where I'm like, I don't want to put a time on this because I don't even mm-hmm. know what we want to make yet. And you're like, yep. God damn it. We need to put time on this thing because I need to know what we're building. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, I, I've been in the situation where um, I've, I've had that. Right. And people have been like, I don't want to put time to this. And I'm like. Well, if you don't put time to it, I'm going to give you time and you're going to have to work within that. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and there, and I've had, I've had some people that are like, fine, do that. And I'm like, okay, cool. And then, all right, team, here's this two year roadmap. They're like, whoa, 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 two years. I'm like, you didn't give me any estimates. Right. I had to come up with numbers on my own. Is that not enough? Do you want to have this discussion now? See, and that's, that's the right way to do it. Right. Because yeah. the thing that a lot of people don't understand, especially, up and coming designers or people up and coming creatives in the industry is you, we could, we could theorize and plan and attempt forever. Right. Mm-hmm. And, but the truth is those deadlines and having real things that we have to hit is what like I always say, that's the box you work within being creative within constraint is what design is actually all about. Yeah, and, and we I have to like, have a conversation, right? Like, like you need to give me an, a realistic time frame to do this thing, but I also need to feel a little bit of pressure, you know? Yeah, and I feel, I feel like if you don't have, 
if you don't have constraints, you can't be as creative. Right. I like, agree. Yeah, I feel like those constraints, whatever they are, whether it's time, whether it's resources, whether it's tool set technology, whatever, like it 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 spurs creativity. It forces you to like think differently and to yeah. try something new. I agree. And it's it's within that I where I personally thrive, where I'm like, I've got this much time to do this thing. I need to figure this out or and where the real conversations happen is, okay, I've got two weeks left to do this thing. It's really going to take me three. Do we get me the three or do we scale back to the two? Do I get someone to help? You know, like there's those conversations, the earlier they happen, the better. And, but that's, that's what game development ultimately is all about is the things we want to make and the time we have to do it, you know? Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. There's, a, there's, oh man, there's so much on my job. that's just like, figuring out how to get people to agree to tell me how long it will take them to do. They think it will take them to do something. Right. And then the other half of that is like, okay, but why you like, I, I believe you. I just have to understand why justify it to me. Why the thing you say will take three months will actually take three months. Cause that sounds like a lot of time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and if I, it's like, that whatever exorbitant. I put together, I have to defend. Right, exactly. And and, yeah. and it may actually take three months, right? But yeah. if that's true, then now that means we're not going to get something else, right? Mm -hmm. Now, do we decide, is the other thing important enough? Is this, you know, like, where do we make these choices? Can someone else do part of this work? Like, like a big part, especially early on, is figuring out who's going to handle what and what's their roadmap look like. Yeah. The, the thing that I love about the project that I'm on right now is, like, we have this mentality of like, if we have to cut something, it just becomes DLC content. It's something, it's not something we don't do. It's something we do for DLC later. Later. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love, I love that there's that approach. So people don't get, I feel like people aren't getting too tied to a system where it turns into this knockdown drag out fight of like, we have to have this thing. And it's like, no, we'll, we'll get it later. We'll add it later. Yeah. Yeah. And that's okay. As, as long as, well, so we always did, or the things that I've done in the past is, is like, a, here's, here's the stacked ranked list of all the things we want to mm -hmm. do. Right. And we're going to get as many of those things in as we can. And then that rest, you know, it's still in the backlog. We could do it later. We yep. may not, but it's there. And you know, when mm -hmm. we do get that opportunity for a sequel or DLC or whatever that is, here's all those things that we wish we could do that we can make this game better or make the next one better. Like, I think that's a, that's a, a realistic way to think about the title. As long as the initial one that you launch is going to be robust enough and valuable enough and good enough that people will want that content later, you know? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So I want to talk a little bit about, um, not necessarily certain affinity specifically, but the kind of studio that they are, because we haven't talked about this much on our show, which is a studio that, that tends to like help other studios with things. Right. Mm -hmm. Like most people think, oh, I'm going to join this studio. We've got our project. We're going to start it. We're going to end it. And then we'll move on to the next thing. Whereas some studios, what they do is they do like, for instance, the multiplayer for a doom or they do mm -hmm. the multiplayer for this other game or they do some levels or some system for this other thing. And certain affinity, if I'm if I remember right, kind of started as that kind of studio where what they were doing was assist or at least a big part of what they've been doing is assisting yeah, it's, other it's, teams. It's right? been their bread and butter for a long time. And that's been around like 
15 years. Right. And, and, and the cool thing about being in, in that kind of position uh, is you can, you can commit to like when you draft up contracts and agreements, you can say things like, we're not going to crunch our people and have that in writing in a contract. This is what we say we're going to deliver. And we also say that we are not going to crunch. Right. Um, and so they can get away with uh, a lot of things that that don't necessarily fly in other studios, right? Yeah. Um, you, you have to deliver, though, right? Like, your quality has to be there um, to get away with, with some of those kinds of addendums and whatnot. But uh, it, it can lead to a healthier environment uh, than, than, like, the crunch culture that you see at some places. Yeah. They, there's... Uh, yeah, it's it's a really interesting kind of business model where um, we 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 are a strike team that's going to help you get your thing across the finish line, uh, and and I like the way that they kind of approach staffing and hiring for the most part. A lot of people there are industry veterans and have been through a bunch of cycles and know how to make games, and you know they they were the lead at some other company or they were the whatever at some other place and. They're they're looking to like improve their work life balance and, uh, you know, and and have a much more relaxed environment. Um, you know, I think Mark Kilborn's a great example of that, right? Like he he had been the audio guy for Call of Duty for a decade. Yeah, and then he's like, okay, I'm gonna go do audio for whatever other game I like. We sign, and I'll just come in, do the sound. I don't have to get involved in the politics because I'm not, I'm not a lead. I don't have to like collaborate in that way. And so, uh, it, it, for a lot of, for a lot of people who want to get into like more of an individual contributor type role, it's a great environment to be. Um, if you want to be in, if you want to be in like a management position, like I do, uh, it does make it more difficult because then your career progression is tied to project cycles and cadence. And, and cadences of like the business and what gets signed, what they have the bandwidth to take on. Yeah. Um, and, th- and that can be frustrating to, to be in that kind of position where it's like, Oh, you know, like I would have had an opportunity to move up to like lead if we had signed this client, but you know, we decided to sign this other project or, or extend this other project. And so I need to go onto that thing or help support that. And so the opportunity for me to move up as a, as a as a leader as a manager isn't there um yeah and and so but but as an individual contributor it's cool you get to work on you don't have to see the full cycle you know a full five or like five year ten year cycle on a game you can hit a bunch of games within that short span of time because you have so many things you can jump between so many uh different opportunities coming in the door it's 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 a really cool place to be uh, for a lot of different reasons, it, I just don't think I'm built for co-development. I'm not deferential enough. That's that's an interesting thing to think about, right? And I think if you're someone who's also a creative, that can be difficult too, right? Because what what you're working on necessarily you don't have creative control over. So that yeah, that, I, that can be I an gave interesting up thing. The idea of having creative control forever ago in my career. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't think I've ever been in a position where. I've had any degree of creative control. I've I've been able to make suggestions, right? I've been able to 
to help steer conversations in a direction that I think might lead to a, a more successful product. But I've, uh, I don't think I gave up the, the illusion that like I'll have some kind of design leadership on anything a yeah. while ago. That's understandable. So much of so much of your career, unless you're Thomas Half, right, is working for other people. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah. So, so what made? At least you, that's my perspective. Yeah, no, no, no. I agree. I mean, as as someone who is a creative, right? Like, I I think a lot about. So I I'm I'm a creative, right? But I'm also a problem solver and a realist. So yeah. I'm not someone who is like a in a world type person. Mm-hmm. I, like I'm not sure. a I'm not a super blue sky like there's no boundaries type person. I'm much more of like what problem are we solving? How do we want to solve it? You know, I've got a lot of experience solving problems. How do we want to solve this one? You know, like that's much more my wheelhouse where like hey, here's this cool new thing we want to do. We've theorized. Okay, let's break that down. What's it going to take to do it? How's it going to impact all these people? you know, like let's prototype the thing and test it out. Like that's, that's much more my wheelhouse. Mm-hmm. And so it doesn't bother me as much in a situation where it's like, I don't have creative control because the truth is even within something where someone is, is guiding the vision at a broader level, there's so much personal investment in the work we do day to day that you you have that creative outlet at least as a designer every day like i'm building this the way that i think it should be built uh, for the experience that i think we should have and as long as everyone's on the same page you know it's 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 something that that you know i get to control kind of how that happens yeah i see that yeah for for me i think that's more of like i get to say what the process is uh, like jumping into the role that I'm in now, where it's like, there, there's, there's so many different ways that you could decide how to structure making a game, right? Like, you know, you, you can do, you, you can decide to do a bunch of things in tandem. You can decide to to have a bunch of dependency chaining. You can decide, like, there's a lot of ways to consider things and to approach things. Yeah. Um, and so, for me, like, I really enjoy. And, and I feel like a lot of people have some really good solutions. Um, but I also feel like there's a lot of solutions that create a lot of overhead. Mm. Uh, there's a lot of solutions that uh, can be cumbersome to the development. Like, yeah, we've got this great documentation that says what all this stuff is. We're not shipping a document. We're shipping a game. Right. And so, like, I don't care how sexy our TDD is. Um, it needs to be just enough that, like, we have... Co- from the executives, from the publisher, from whomever needs to give us money and green light this thing for us to go do our thing. It needs to be just enough for the team to be able to reference it and know what's going on. If it's anything more than that, we've overdone it. We've overworked. Yeah. Um, so I like I like I like being the person who kind of reminds people to put the brakes on things and just this is enough. Now go go make something that we can put in the game from yeah. this. Yeah. Well, that couples with what I was saying before without the constraint, like I'm going to keep trying to make this design better, right? Like Mm -hmm. most, most people are and having someone to help you look at it from a objective view and say, look, 
this this meets the goals that we set, right? Yeah. Now, if you don't think it, like you as the designer don't think it meets the goals, let's have a new conversation about what's missing, how long is that work going to take, what do we need to do it, how does it fit in our roadmap, but having other people to be like, you know, that just that extra set of eyes to say, Hey, that, that looks good or, or it doesn't look good. Right. Like there, you need, you need those other perspectives to kind of keep you in the right headspace, I think. Yeah, totally. So as you were, I, I, I don't know how much of this you can or want to say, but as you were kind of deciding that you wanted to do something different, from your time at certain Affinity, and you wanted to move, you know, to, to, to something new, what was your thought process? Like, like what, was there something particular that made you feel like it was time to do something different or like, where, where were you at? Yeah. Um, I, I was excited to join because I'd never done code of code development before. And mm -hmm. I, I had an understanding of what it was, but I, you know, I haven't been, been in it. I haven't lived it. I don't, I don't know if I like it or don't like it. Right. Um, and I got in and, you know, gave it an honest effort. It's just I don't don't feel I'm suited for it, uh, which is great to know about myself now, right? Like I know yeah. I, can, <laughs> I know what opportunities, even more so to say no to. Um, but uh, yeah, it it was it was one of those things where like, you know, things were moving along and and things were kind of running okay, but I didn't I didn't feel like and not to say that this is necessarily true, but I wasn't I wasn't feeling like I had a lot of advancement opportunity there. Mm -hmm. um, I wasn't I wasn't feeling like I was growing at the rate that I wanted to. Mm. I was kind of coasting, honestly. Yeah, and that because, can be situational, right? Like, had yeah. you been there at a different time, you might have felt different, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, they they could have had a different project that was more engaging and that required much more of me, and, mm -hmm. and that would have been a very different thing. Or we we would. You know, we could have had a thing where we had to staff differently, and that would have led to uh, not having as many production resources, which meant I would have more, worn more hats and, and took on more responsibilities. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it was it was just this this thing where like I didn't feel like I was being fully utilized. I didn't feel like uh, I had a seat at the table that I wanted to be at, um, and so. I, I, I kind of started just, you know, entertaining opportunities that came along, you know, because it was, it was very like, I'm comfortable here. Uh, it's it's a great place to work. Um, if something comes along that that really speaks to what I'm looking for, I'll I'll consider it. And, you know, we'll go through the process and we'll see what that's like. Uh, and Lost Boys reached out and they were like, hey, we're looking for an EP and, and all these things. Um, and, and they, they, it was a very similar thing to a certain affinity where they were like, you know, we'd actually love to bring you in just a level lower. Um, but we, uh, the, the guy that's my manager now, he was like, I specifically want to mentor you to grow you into where, what I need you to be, uh, over the course of like the next six months to a year. And we can talk about a level adjustment at that point. Nice. That's yeah, awesome. And so it was, it was very like, cool. I can see that there is an intent to to grow me as an individual, not yeah. somebody to help build up, build out a project. And that's not to say that that's what CA was looking for either. Um, but there wasn't, you know, I'm feeling much more of an initial 
I'm feeling much more of like a, a like an investment. Yeah. Uh, in my growth in my career. And that that's something that I think a lot of people don't think about, especially when they're entering the industry, is like what your your path to development is. And mm-hmm. for those of us that have been in for a while, we care a lot more about that. You know, yeah. where we're like, I, I want to know that not only is this thing that I'm doing now, am I going to be impactful on that? But I also need to know that I'm going to grow into, you know, into, into bigger, better things, but not only that, but that it's also important to them. Right. Yeah. And, and that's, that's something I think some companies are starting to do really well. And it sounds like that's, that's something that this company cares about. And that's enticing to you because of where you are in your career, what you're looking for. And that that's why, like any of these conversations we have, it's there, it's so situational, right? Like mm-hmm. someone else that's in a different part of their career might've had the same interview as you. And it wasn't a good fit for them because that wasn't what they were thinking about right now for them. It yeah. was, you know, this job isn't going to pay me enough money. And you know, you know what I mean? Like there's just so many different things to consider depending on what your phase of life is. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for me, it's, that's, that's always like a big thing is, is looking to, to grow and develop. Because like my my lofty ambition is to be like CEO or COO somewhere and help uh, drive the industry forward by setting in place like business cases. Like we did X Y Z and it was successful. You you should probably operate in this much more healthy way to your employees as well. Um, you don't have to. You know, I haven't crunched in six years. That's uh, awesome. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I haven't, uh, I haven't either, actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's you know, and I've shipped tons of games. And so it's, there there is a time and a place for crunch, but usually that time and a place occurs after production fails in some way. It, at least that's my experience. That's my opinion on it, right? I think that's generally the case as well. It's either yeah. there's a failure or things changed right like we had a decent plan and we didn't adjust to the plan well enough or mm-hmm. or sometimes like i i'm i am a a fan of well that may not be the right i don't i don't mind when people want to crunch because they want to make something they're working on better right if it's that's your not choice crunch, though. that's different that's like that's it, just it, i it, i agree i agree with you it's not but it gets lumped in there right because yeah. what all people really talk about is i worked 80 hours this week Right. That, that's yeah. kind of the, the metric. And I'm with you though. I don't think it's the same thing, but I feel like that's that that's the part of that scenario that I'm like, Hey, if you want to make this thing better and spend a couple of extra hours each week or whatever, doing it cool. Right. Yeah. And, and, you know, I, I think it's important too, as like, you know, being in a leadership role that I know when those things are happening so that I can make sure I get those people time. Yeah. So that I can make sure that like, you know, and and I think a great example of this is I had I had an artist that came in and worked a weekend because they wanted to take something for the extra mile, and I was like, okay, did you not have enough time in your workday to take it the extra mile? Like, why did you have to come in and work the weekend? Yeah, and it was like it was more of a discussion of like, how did I fail you that you weren't able to do this during your normal working hours? Right. Um. And it, and it was it wasn't that like things came up or he wasn't able to focus or anything like that. It was just that like, oh well, it's a it's an aggressive schedule and you know it was good enough, but I knew I could take it further. And I was like, okay, cool, take take this Friday off, try to get that time back. But you know, I appreciate it, but don't do that again. <laughs> yeah, 
I get it. it. But you're also coming from project management production mindset, right? And so that should be what you're thinking about, right? Like, and and I 100% agree with your thought process. But I also yeah. think it's okay sometimes if they want to put in that extra time. I, I think it's okay if people want to. I, I think it's just important that like somebody will burn themselves out yes. before I do. Yes, right? like, that is true. That is true. And so I, I want to prevent that. I want to make sure that they have time to decompress and step away. And like, you know, it, if you're really passionate about something, it can be really easy for you to stress yourself out. Yeah, you really love. You're right. Yeah, and that, that's the and other so part trying, of that. I'm too. trying to pr- yeah. protect people from that. Who, especially this guy, you know, that at the time he was an associate on this, and so he, you know, he's just trying to look good and and get people to you know, to appreciate the hustle that he has as like, I see it, man, you're doing a great job. You don't need to kill yourself. Yep. You're right. And that's, and that's why those checks and balances are great. You know, because like you said, if you're going to do it, I think it's important that you be open about the fact that you're doing it. Right. So people know Mm -hmm. that you're doing it. And so that someone like you can be like, listen, man, you got to take care of yourself as well. You know, yeah. And the the like when we're talking about crunch though, one of the companies I worked at very early on, it was mandatory twelve hour days, six days a week, Oof. and then eight hours on Sunday for three months. We did that. Wow. It was man. We had to come in and write on a on a on a sheet at the front of the desk when we got in there and when we left. So it like that's something that needs to die in a fire. Yeah, that's that's the kind of thing I want to kill. Yeah, that that is the worst. And the worst yeah. part about it for me at that point was there was nothing for me to do a lot of times. Mm-hmm. So I sat around. Like, I yep. would try to find things to do and couldn't because of the state of the project and my ability to make an impact at that point. Like, it was very frustrating that I was there because I just needed to be there. Yep. Yeah, I... I I've it's it's weird when that happens for producers because like there's literally nothing I can do to make this move faster. Yeah. Right. Um, usually I volunteer if, if, you know, last time I had to crunch a team, I volunteered to stay late so that I could order pizza and like, you know, like I was, I was just there in solidarity. That was it. Yeah. Yep. I'm just getting people coffee, getting people, you know, dinner or whatever. Like, so that so that that's one less thing for them to worry about. They can focus. Like I went and did somebody's laundry, right? Like oh, nice. <laughs> yeah, it, it was just really like, really getting in there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It was you know they lived close to the studio. It was it was easy enough, but like, uh, you know, it 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 was really more of I'm here out of solidarity, not because I'm adding value to this <laughs> getting out the door. Like I'm not helping it happen any faster. Man, I remember one Hopefully place I, I can worked. Boost your morale on that scene. Like that's all I can right. do. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I remember one place I worked. They announced, "Hey, we're getting a laundry service, so you can bring your laundry <sighs> in and get it done." And I was like, "Hey, that's great." And then I was like, "Wait a minute." <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> like, hey guys, we're gonna put a cot back in this room so you can take naps. Wait a minute. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> actually, those There's were all that like, same company. Now that I think about it, but <laughs> yeah. There's there's a lot of things that like when you if you just look past face value of like, this is potentially really problematic. What are you trying to set up here? Right. Yeah. We want you to just never leave this office. You know? mm-hmm. 
Yeah. You know, in that case, it's like, if, if that's what you want, I'm not going to rent a place. I'm going to like save that money. I'm just going to live at the office. We've had yeah. people try to do that in the past. And that is, that's wild. Yeah. <laughs> One time we that's came insane. in and a guy was in his pajamas cause he'd, he'd slept there overnight. And I was like, uh, that's not like, are you living here? Like, I don't, I don't know that I've ever encountered that. There's only the oh. one time that I was like, oh, no, you're you're living here, aren't you? Like, oh, no. I haven't I haven't encountered that. I have the closest to that I've ever encountered was I was working on a Seinfeld game and there was this one. I think he was a mathematician or he was either a mathematician or a designer. Uh, and he like. Uh, you know, I'm scrubbing hours of Seinfeld content looking for things that we can use in the game. Uh, and he went and popped a bag of popcorn and stood behind me and was just nomming, watching Seinfeld over my shoulder. I had headphones on, <laughs> so he's not getting any audio. And like, I pause what? it and I take my headphones off and I turn around and he's just there with like a bowl of popcorn. I was like, can I help you? And he was just like, Oh, are you done? I was like, for now. Okay. And just like walks away. I was like, how long has he been there? What? <laughs> oh my gosh. That's, that's the closest to like the weird, like you feel way too at home here that I've ever encountered. So I don't, I don't even understand that one. Like that one was weird, man. I, <laughs> that's crazy. <laughs> yeah. We had, <laughs> We had a we had a guy at one studio that we called Hummingbird because you'd just be working and he would just come into your cube and just stand there until you noticed him. So I don't know okay. how long sometimes it had been like, oh, I'm just doing my thing. <laughs> like <laughs> I know somebody exactly like that. <laughs> it's like, come on guys, like especially in this day and age, send me a Slack, tell me you're coming over, tap me on this like anything. Let me mm -hmm. just let me know you're there coming like or coming. You know, it's crazy. Yeah. Oh man. We also live in a time now where instant messaging is should like there should be no I'm just gonna show up at your desk, right? Like we can have a conversation and then if I need to see something, I'll walk over. You know, like there's there's no need to just randomly show up unless it's a friend and you're you know, like it's a normal thing. But just mm -hmm. randomly popping in is is way less necessary now. Yeah, for sure. But I think my favorite like instance of that in work from home is the like the person who calls you out of the blue without saying like got a sec first or or like are you around for a chat like just yeah. straight up calls you on Slack and it's like oh man it's it's like the weird little courtesies that I feel like make the difference as far as how effective you you end up being. Yeah. Yeah. I So I haven't even had that experience yet at Insomniac. We use Slack and, and we do tons of, of Zoom meetings, right? Like, you know, everything is a Zoom meeting. I haven't had anyone just like send me a random call yet. Like it's usually at least some kind of, hey, do we need to have a call about this or can we cover it here? You know? Mm-hmm. I, I much prefer that. I, for the same reason, I don't answer my phone. I never answer my phone unless like I know exactly who it is and I'm in a place to talk. Otherwise send me a text. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I, yeah. If you're, if you're calling me like, 
It better it's be an emergency, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. Like you're going to need to call a second and third time because I'm not going to answer that first one. You're you're going to need to text me to let me know I need to answer the call. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah. That that's happened to you. Yeah. I'll you, often you just, just send a what's up. I'll just be like, this has got to be. Yeah. Somebody, somebody like hacked your number and this has got to be like a telemarketer <laughs> or something. Yeah. Always text before calling unless it's emergency. Yeah. I agree. That's. Man. Yeah. I have one friend who calls me and I will answer the phone for him. Uh, but that's, that is it. Like, otherwise I'm just like, I, it can't be that important. Send me a text. Yeah. Well, and, it, or the, or the person that like sends you a message and then sends you another message and be like, did you see my other message? <laughs> like, dude, it can wait. If nothing's oh, that urgent. That that's what's hilarious is we are in in a time of such instant gratification that we feel like if everything doesn't happen that way, that we're now being put off or it's, you know, like it's, we need it now because we want it now. Yeah. That's yep. exhausting. No, I get that. Yeah. And it, it, it like creates these weird anxieties for people where, uh, they feel this, this pressure to like live up to that. It's yeah. not healthy. Not, not at all. And for so many younger people, this is the only life they know. Yeah. You know, is this, this instant gratification, always an electronic device in your hand. And when we were growing up, this stuff didn't exist. Like, or at least nope. when I was like, it, it, there, there, you didn't have this kind of instant gratification all the time. When I was, yeah. when I was doing like our, you know, vacations or cross country travel, or even just an hour to go see family or whatever, you had a book that was the only kind of entertainment that I had. And so we had to like make our own fun, but nobody has to did do you, that anymore. Did you have the little magnetic board games? Yeah. 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 I had like little magnetic chess that I would play with my yep. siblings. Absolutely. Yeah. Man, I haven't yeah. thought about that in a long time. Yeah. yeah, definitely. Who was it? Was it, was it Hasbro or Milton Bradley that made those? I don't know. I got mine through Radio Shack. Okay. Uh, Yeah, those were now. those were a lot of fun. Oh yeah, like there's yep, yeah there was a <laughs> Radio Shack vintage portable chess computer. <laughs> oh, I wasn't even thinking about that. I was thinking about the one where it's like it's like a little square board, and all of the pieces have magnets on the bottom of them. Yeah, it like yep. flips open, and it's all one piece of metal. Yep, I know exactly. Yeah, I had that as well. I know exactly yeah. what you're talking about. Yeah, that's crazy. And like sometimes they would they would be games like Snurry where you had to like roll dice and it would be like the tiniest little D six. Yes. Yep. Man, that was such a wild time. Yeah, I was like, who rolls this? Like, this is gonna get lost in the car. Elford <laughs> said, "Spent most of my teen years with an electric guitar in my hands. That that's that's a way to do it." Yeah. Yeah, we especially like I didn't I didn't do much of that. I when I was at home, I was either playing sports or playing a video game. That's that was my that was the things that I did. Yep. Yeah, it was it was I mean, I grew up in in like middle of nowhere Tennessee, so it was either playing like the three video games that I had uh or like one of those three or going outside and like riding my bike through the woods. Yeah, did a lot of that. Wait, what part of yeah. Tennessee? 
Um, in the in the Tennessee Appalachian Valley. Um, do you know where? Um, I'm trying to think of something. That's there's nothing there. Is it? Wait, we talk like what part of the of the of the state? Like, uh, more more east. So like, like near I seventy five region. I grew up like in the valley of that like mountainous region. So I grew up twenty five miles north of the Tennessee border in Kentucky. Okay, off I seventy five. So I feel like we were at least in the same neighborhood. I was yeah, in southeast I was, Kentucky. I was I was right off of I seventy five as well. So not too oh. far. Are we talking like Jellico? Are we talking like sat like closer to Knoxville? Uh, do you know where? Uh, yeah, so right between Knoxville and Chattanooga, like halfway okay. between the two. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Dude, we used to go to Gatlinburg like three times a year. Oh my god, and me too. So like, like I love that area. Like the the Smoky Mountains were were awesome. Driving yeah, over we, Jellico Mountain sucked though. Yeah, it like, was either uh, Gatlinburg or Pigeon Forge. Yep. I spent so much time in those places. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man, that's wild. In like flea bag hotels, and yeah, <laughs> and then you go, you, like your parents take you to the strip where you get like an airbrush T-shirt. Yep. Yeah, yeah. And you just describe my childhood right there. Yeah. That was it. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. I didn't realize that's where you grew up. That's funny. Yeah, man. It was it was rough though because like I grew up in like a low income family, mm. so. Uh, but there was like a weird amount of money in the in the area where I grew up, so I don't know. I just remember being acutely aware of being like the poor kid. Really? Uh, okay. Yeah, yeah, and like, uh, not not getting like we didn't do family vacations that often. If we did, it was like camping because that's relatively cheap. Yeah, yeah. So then what kind of took you from that life to where you are now? Like, did you, I know you're military, right? Did you go into military right out of high school? Yeah, that's, that was, that was the the major catalyst. It was, you know, grew up in, you know, growing up in that environment, uh, not having a lot of opportunity, not, you know, feeling very other, even though like I'm a cis white dude, like, you know, I didn't like football. I liked Lord of the Rings and right. <laughs> I liked Harry Potter and those things were of the devil. And, oh, yeah. you know, my, I don't think my parents were equipped to be parents and they were in, in many respects, very abusive. And, uh, I just wanted a way. Mm. I just, I wanted to get away and, and not have to come back. And the military was like a way out for me. And so, uh, joined the Air Force at, at the age of 17, got got a waiver signed so that I could uh, I could join at a, a younger age and not have to wait for my 18th birthday. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Uh, served for two years and um, got out and had like a weird, like I had my gap year after the military before going to full cell where I was kind of like floating around and trying to figure out what I was going to do with my life. And then I was like, oh, yeah, I always wanted to go to Full Sail. I should just do that. Yeah. Like, um, yeah, and a good portion of it was covered with the GI Bill and uh, got my bachelor's in recording arts and master's in game design. Um, nice. Yeah. So, I, you know, it, and, and since then, since leaving, I haven't really been back. I've, I've gone back a couple times to visit. Uh, you know, when somebody's sick and in the hospital. But other than that, I just, I avoid that place like the plague. I don't have any 
positive memories from there. Oh, that sucks, man. I yeah. I mean, I, I, I like, I remember enjoying playing in the woods and, uh, go, you know, camping trips and stuff, but it's like none of my like positive memories involved other people just because we, like we were poor and isolated. Mm. That, that whole area is pretty poor, you know, yeah. like uh, relatively speaking. And so I grew, you know, like I grew up in South, Southeast Kentucky where there was a lot of poor, Luckily, you know, I, I, we were a middle-class family, you know, so we, mm-hmm. we didn't struggle that way, but man, I saw a lot of it and still see a lot of it there when I go back to visit, which isn't very often anymore, but, yeah. uh, but yeah, man, I know, I know, I know the vibe you're talking about and, but the kind of things you're talking about that you remember fondly are the same things I do too. We had like a hundred acres of land, most of it wood. And uh-huh. so we would like spend so much time out, you know, just running through the woods building forts, you know, like just all that kind of stuff. And I, I miss that part fishing all the time. Like I love that stuff when I was little. Yeah. No, for me, it was like going over and like, you know, playing shadow run or D and D or something like that with my cousins or, uh, like the few, the few times that I got to see them throughout the year, like just hanging out with, with my cousins and, and playing board games and playing video games and, you know, one of my cousins is, uh, she's really into like swords and martial arts. And like when you're eight, that's the coolest shit ever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, even when you're 40, that's cool. Okay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. She has this massive like collection of just different swords that she has like on the wall and, and in different scabbards and stored in different places. That's cool. Yeah. Man, did you go to flea markets? Oh, growing yeah. up, that's something yeah. I don't see or hear people talk about that often anymore. Or maybe I'm just not around it as much. But man, we loved flea markets growing up. Yeah, I mean, for for us because we were low income, everything anywhere we could get a bargain was like that was the place to be. That was the thing to do because it like you know I, I I'm one of five kids. Yeah, so it's oh, a wow. lot. It, like yeah, it, you know. And dad's out of work because he's on disability and mom uh, is the only one really holding down a job. So it's like, it's, it's, it was rough uh, trying to cover that. Plus, you know, uh, some of my older siblings, they had kids and, you know, they were still struggling to kind of find their footing. And so uh, my, my parents would try to help support them and, and take them in from time to time. And so there's like, just constant re- like kids are so expensive. Yep. Um, and so with, with all that, like it, I'm sure that if it, if it was like maybe two of us, it wouldn't have been as bad, but right. But like just the sheer amount of people that you're trying to feed made it really hard. Yeah. Well, that makes like vacationing and stuff hard too. Like you mentioned, that's, yeah, that's a lot. Like imagine taking, seven people to Disney world. Jesus. Hell like no. that's... Yeah. <laughs> Man. Yeah. You know, so, uh, one of the things we had, we had a big flea market where I grew up, but the coolest thing they had at that flea market was a guy who set up a video game table. And what he had oh. was it was covered in video games. This was around original PlayStation time. So we had uh-huh. tons of PlayStation games, super Nintendo, that kind of stuff. And his business model, and this was really cool, was bring any game you want 
and give him, it was either three or five dollars, and you could pick any game on the table. So he's basically here, tra- like trading. He always had the same amount of games on the table, but it yeah. changed every time you were there. And all it cost was, I think it was three or five. I can't remember for sure. But then I was, so I would go there and be like, all right, what's here that's valuable? What's something that so I want in my like collection? He was like the first Gamefly. He pretty much was. This was like in 99 ish. Like, uh-huh. yeah. And it was, uh, it was such a cool model. It got to the point where all he had was shit on the table, though, because like everybody came in and traded in junk for good stuff. Yeah. But but eventually he would like start to refill it with other stuff. But it was it was really cool. Like especially as a younger person that didn't have much money, and I'm like, I'm done with this game. Let me go trade it in for something else. And like it was it was a nice model. Yeah, that sounds cool. What what were what were your like? What was your janky game as a kid? Janky game. Yeah, like the one like I wanted the, to get the rid one of? that like you look back on and you're like, I never would have bought that or played that if I wasn't young and oh my god, that was the only option in the store or something. Oh man, uh, oh my gosh, let's see, smart ball. <laughs> I don't think I ever played smart ball. I, I'm trying to remember one, one thing I do remember was I got a copy of Symphony of the Night this way, Ooh. and that was and I, I had that for years after getting it there. Um, I'm t- man, what what game? That game is still so hard. What do you mean was? Yeah. <laughs> oh, I nothing's coming to mind right now. Like now, do you mean like a game? You're saying a game that like if I hadn't have got it from there, I never would have owned it, right? Like it was just. Yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't even need to be like. It was poorly made or had like bad graphics or like it was a bad designer. Just like. That's not something you would have ever. Something I would have just went to if not for that environment. That's a really good question. Oh man, I don't know. I don't know if I remember well enough. I'm trying to think because I remember. Oh, I do remember. This was the point where remember when the PlayStation games had the big box version early on. Oh yeah. I remember if you traded in a big box one, you got you had to pay more because like those were the old PlayStation games. Yeah, but there was something they. I'm trying to remember what this was now. There was something they had that was an old box one. Oh man, I'm gonna have to look this up now because I remember coming in and I did a reverse trade because I was like, I want this big box game, and I brought in something newer, but it was something like I couldn't even find any. I'd never even seen anywhere else. Man, what was that? It was like, oh my gosh, it wasn't time splitters. It was something. Along splitters was fun. Yeah. It was something along those lines though, and now I can't remember what it was. I'm gonna have to go look this up again. Yeah. Now, now you Mine got my wheel like, spinning. Like, like big bass fishing or something like that. <laughs> Deer hunter. Yeah. <laughs> See, no, I remember it was a I remember it was a fishing game specifically, but yeah, it was like looking and like the the whole reason for competing was to get better lures like that's what you were trying to do and unlock was just get like fill out your tackle box and have like the best lures and then go back and compete in all these different like fishing tournaments and and then get better catches with like a better lure it was a it was such a weird game um i i would not that's not anything that i would go get as an adult like now that I have a lot more agency over what I buy and right. what, what I'm able to get, like <laughs> never would purchase that. All right. Oh man. You know, one game 
I'm going to throw this out into the universe. Uh, one game that I always wanted and never, never got a hold of. There's, well, I guess there's two of them actually are the Discworld games on the PlayStation. I'm a humongous Terry Pratchett and Discworld fan. Uh-huh. And they made two different games on the PlayStation that I have never owned and have always wanted. Because really? I was just looking through the big box games, and that was one of the original ones. Was the Discworld title uh, was one of those? And I need to, I need to. It's one of those things that I've always wanted, but now I'm at a point in my life where I probably could just buy it, but I don't think to look for it now. So I need to, I need to think about that a little bit more. Yeah, yeah. There, there's some weird ones that I had. I remember Time Splitters. That was a lot of fun. Yeah. That, um, yeah. Man, yeah. I, th- I, I remember game? the one that like got me into like wanting to figure out how to work in games was it was one of the Tony Hawk Pro Skaters. I think it was three where they had like a level editor and you uh-huh. could make your own maps. Yeah. Man, I spent I spent way more time making maps than I did skating around and playing the game. That was doing it right. Yeah, I was just like making a cool map and then handing the controller to my cousin and having him play test and then being like, okay, I need to shorten that gap or I need to I need to extend that rail or whatever. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, man, like it was it was interesting, the games that had that kind of stuff early on. And I I didn't like. Really do much with that until like Neverwinter Nights. Like I didn't, I didn't really, I didn't really dig into editors until, until, until that. I should have done it earlier, but I didn't. Yeah. I don't know why. Yeah. That was, that was like always my thing. Cause I was like, I'll get through the campaign or the story or whatever in like eight hours. Does it have an editor? Like, does it have a thing where I can just make a ton of characters or make a bunch of levels or something? Yeah. Oh my god! There was an international track and field game on the original PlayStation. Did you play awesome. Battle Arena Toshinden? That was the first game I bought for the PlayStation. Oh yeah, three yeah, D fighting game. That's a yeah. game I ended up trading in. But and there was like a dude that had like these clawed fists. Yeah, I remember there was mm-hmm. a chain weapon too. Yeah, yeah, I remember that game. That was super fun. That was wild times. Yeah, I remember like I I played the first one and then uh I was like, "Oh, remember when they used to have like trailers for games in in games like as part of the splash screen?" Yeah. Uh yeah, yeah. so my my cousin like booted up. We were over at like my grandma's and he he brought over his PlayStation and he booted up a game and there was a trailer for like like a 3 or a 4 to battle it like to uh, battle arena Toshinden or whatever it was called. Uh huh. And I was like, there, there were sequels. Like oh, yeah. this many sequels. <laughs> well, there was two of them on the original PlayStation. Yeah. Yeah. So I just found that game that I was trying to think of. It was called psychic detective. Okay. It was a, I don't, I don't remember much about it. I just remember that that's where uh, it was a three disc game on the PlayStation big box. And yeah, that was one of the things I traded for. I was like, I never would have bought this. Like, but that oh, was yeah. uh, one of those that that stuck out. I was like, this should be cool. I don't think it was cool. <laughs> <laughs> huh. All right, so we got like fifteen minutes left. What What's on your mind? What uh 
What have you been thinking about lately when it comes to game development? When it comes to game development, man. Um, or even outside of it, but. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like I, I've been thinking, well, oh, when it comes to game development, everything that's happening with Blizzard right now. Dude. <laughs> yeah. And then and then Fulbright got in the news, and it wasn't like, it wasn't as, as like flagrant, but it was still just as like sinister, at least from the way that the, the article portrayed it, right? Like. Yeah, that's, oh man, that's wild. You that, know, like, hearing that Blizzard destroyed evidence. <laughs> yeah, did you hear about this? No, I didn't so, hear this part. So I, so I just found out about this today. It was apparently news yesterday. Um, the the short story, as I'm told and have read, is that they felt like destroying the evidence of the stuff that happened and paying the fines for doing that was easier than uh, going through the process of <laughs> of like all of this harassment and, and what it means. And that is mind-blowing to me that, one, that, that you could do that, and two, that you would do that. Yeah, at that <laughs> point, it's like, dude, oh, man. You, you had some skeletons to bury if you had to do that, like. A friend or of mine had a thought that that was a, a better alternative. Yeah, a friend of mine had a tweet. She said, uh, "Activision Blizzard, we will be an example for the industry going forward. The example: how to destroy evidence." Like that's. <laughs> yeah, that's insane. Yeah. So no, I don't. Apparently, I don't know California. If you saw my post on, oh no, on go LinkedIn. Uh huh. So I, 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 you know, it had, news had come out. It had been out for about a week. The walkouts had happened. Um, and I was like, man, I just accepted this position. I'm going to, I'm going to be in this like executive role at this big company. I need to, I need to make some kind of public statement because I'm going to have, you know, future coworkers, I'm sure are going to look me up and be like, who's this dude? What's his deal? Right. And so, you know, I need to do something that, that potentially puts them at ease. Hopefully puts them at ease. If it, if it ruffles their feathers and I'm taking the sides of the employees and like, yeah, we're gonna have problems, um, but yeah, and so I like made this post, and I was just like, you know, uh, in, in light of recent events, like I, I stand with with the employees, I support fair hiring practices, and, and you know, basically saying like, work should be a safe place for everyone. Yeah, like everybody should be able to go to the office and feel safe. There. Nobody should feel harassed or, or unwelcome or anything. And I like put that post up. Uh, it gets a little bit of traction. I think I got like 100 likes or something. Um, and the next day in a play test, somebody makes some kind of like offhanded remark. And I'm like, okay, well, that's not cool. I'm going to, I'll say something to them. Uh, and so I like message them on Slack. I'm like, hey, uh, you know, like, really shouldn't make these kinds of kinds of jokes or these comments, like especially with everything that's happening with Blizzard right now. And they just fire back, "Okay, sure." And I'm like, "Okay, we're good." And then they join like another play test the next day, and they're like, "Yeah, so can I talk, or am I going to get reported to HR?" And I was like, "Dude, if you're going to be that flippant about that and about this and like make it into a deal, like, yeah, I have to go to HR now." 
That's the man, such a yeah. wrong attitude. Like, I know. I don't I don't get the lack of empathy with something like this. Like Yeah, like it's it, and and I'm asking you to not say something. Yeah. I'm I'm just asking you like doing nothing is the easiest thing to do. It's hard to talk and not be an ass though. <laughs> <laughs> So, so check this out. Apparent, so, so apparently California is uh, amending the lawsuit now because of what has happened. And what they're saying is it alleges in part that documents related to investigations and complaints were shredded by human resources personnel in violation of, of wow. what it asserts is the game company's legal obligation to retain them pending the investigation. That is... So they're going to go after them for like destruction of evidence. I guess so. Yeah. I I, like when I'm blown away, I'm blown away. I I saw an article that like they're expanding the investigation. Are they? I I just saw that and I didn't see like why or what it was. It like, it was just the headline that was just like, uh, you know, DA or something, uh, expands investigation. And I was like, Oh, okay. Man, I'll come back to that later. It must've been about that. I, can't I guess they so. Destroyed evidence. Yeah. And, and, like, and allegedly, right? Allegedly, sure. first we'll say. Uh, but yeah. But man, just the like that company is under everyone's eye, right? Like everyone is looking yeah. at them. Like you need to, you should be as transparent and open as possible. It's not, what what this tells me, if this is true, is that it's even way worse than we think. Oh yeah, for sure. And it, oh, we already think it's bad. So. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, man. I know. I know a, a couple people that just started there that like just went there and, um, and like they're. I think they had a good attitude going into it. They were like, "I get to be part of the solution." And I think that's a great attitude to yes. enter it with. But like, I hope they get to be. I I hope that that they can help shape the culture for the better because. Some of that stuff sounds, and and just what like I've read sounds awful. Yeah, and none of us want Blizzard to go away, right? Like, like none of us want them to die, right? Because even even assuming all of this stuff is true, whatever, there are hundreds, if not thousands, I don't even know how many employees they have right now, that are just trying to make a good game and have been yeah. doing so for a long time and have been dealing with all this bullshit, right? Like, let's yeah. just make their lives easier. Let's clear out the problems and go like, that's not what I'm saying. Obviously is not an easy thing to do, right? Like there's a lot to this, but, oh, for but, sure. but I don't think anyone's like, well, we just got to get rid of them, right? Like we need to, we need to help them no, fix the problem. Yeah. I, I mean, I, yeah, I agree with that. It is, it is hard right now to like, I was really hyped for Diablo four and I don't know that I'm going to be able to like, be in a headspace where I can justify purchasing it at launch like I would have. Yeah. Well, that Diablo 2 remaster, I never played it, so I was seriously considering doing that, but I yeah. can't now. Like, I just, I don't have the desire to do it. Yeah. It, like, there there are some people that have through their actions outed themselves as, as being part of the problem Yeah. that still exists there that, like, unless I see that they're leaving... Even if they like voluntarily resign and they're able to like like so long as they're still there contributing to the issue, like I don't, I don't know that I can support that kind of work culture. 
Man, that's a tough one. I yeah, I would love it, to it think is, that people like, can you change, want, like, right? You want, the, you want the studio to stay open because you want the people who, like, you want your friends and 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 potential coworkers, like yep. potentially future coworkers and everybody, like, you want them to be able to make a living and earn an income and. Well, from that and, view, the people that that we care about, if people above them are gone, that's more opportunity for them to move up and and have more exactly. impact, right? So yeah. Uh, man. Yeah, but I guess the point that I was getting to is like when you don't buy those games, you are contributing true. to the likelihood of them closing. That is or, true, or that that team getting layoffs or whatever. Right? That is like, true. Yeah, you're right. So it's, it's a it's a weird kind of double edged sword. You're right. There there's not a simple solution, right? Like not even close. And yeah. and I think this is going to set the tone for you know, what's going to happen a little more industry wide. I mean, we already saw problems with Ubisoft, which people are not talking about as much now, obviously, which is no, weird. Yeah. We should be lumping all this together and, and figuring out how as an industry, we, we figure this out together. All we can really do is impact the place we are. And yeah. I feel super lucky that, you know, Insomniac is not only a place that cares, but is being very, very forward and, and vocal and trying to, to make this, better in the way that we can which is super yeah. great well yeah you're working with sean mccabe now right yep yeah he's just like a genuinely good human right like he's yeah, just absolutely. such a good person i can't imagine him allowing that kind of culture to fester yeah that's it's yeah. it's nice like it, people being vocal about solving the problem i think is the the right place to start and then we yeah. just got to figure out how to do it you know yeah yeah I, you know I, from my perspective, the thing that I have to do is, you know, there's the, like, if you see something, say something like yeah. immediately address it with that person yep. and just say like, this is this behavior, this action, whatever it is, is unwelcome. Yeah. Right. Like it, it's unprofessional and unwelcome. And, and that should be the end of it. Right. Like I don't necessarily like need to make a big stink about it. I can address it with you privately, but like that should be it. Um, yeah. If it's and, not and, it, then that's when there's a problem, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. And I've I've been I've been in a position where like I've I've heard like off color jokes and I've like addressed it with people and every time except for that one that one example, everybody's been like, Oh my god, I'm so sorry. Or that'll never happen again. I, I never would want to make somebody feel uncomfortable. Yeah. But like a lot of it is somebody's just not thinking, I think. Yeah. And they're there, there's no malice. There's no malintent. They just trying to like they they lose track of the fact they're in a professional and they just make a dumb mistake. Yeah, but it's when the it's when people get offended that you're taking issue with it that it's like okay, there's a bigger issue. Like, this needs to this needs to get elevated or escalated in some way. Yeah, that's a tough one. Like it's yeah. It's it can be hard to determine what's a mistake and what's a problem, right? And and I think you, we now have to be more cautious than we've been in the past. I think we've been more likely to say, "Oh, that's a mistake. Let's yeah, you know, let it, let it go, or you know, see if it continues." Where now I think we need to be more like, "Hey, we need to make sure this isn't a problem, right? Like we need yeah. to attack this as a problem first, and then kind of go from there." Yeah, exactly. Barley's back here running in his sleep. I see, uh -huh. I see his boss moving around. <laughs> All right, man. We are running out of time. 
So super appreciate you doing this again, first of all. And yeah, uh, absolutely. Always have fun. fun hanging out, chatting, hoping that uh, we'll get to see you, you know, let's say around March for some Hall of Fame might be the next Hopefully time. that happens. I would yeah. love for that to be a thing. Yeah. So that'd be good. And Un- uh, Unfortunately, that would happen in Florida and they've got to get their shit together. Dude, this place is a nightmare right now. <laughs> But we're also talking what, uh, seven months there, from now or so. There's time like, to there's time to turn the corner. Yeah, yeah, there's time to turn it around. I man, I am absolutely. There just needs to be a willingness to. Correct. Yeah. Correct. And it's, oh, what I'm dealing with down here is not fun. Not fun. I I can only imagine. I mean, I'm in Texas. I'm sure it's not that. Big. It's it's not much better. Yeah, I'm sure Texas, it, it's about the same. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, executive's wife, you have no idea what kind of nightmare Florida is, and it is true. It is a nightmare here for so many reasons. Like, ICU beds are full. People aren't getting vaccinated. It's just absolutely nuts. Yeah, I mean, we've got, like, kids in the ICU and, uh, like, a ban on schools being allowed to have mass buildings. Yeah. It's just insane. Yep. Well, we'll see what it looks like next year, right? (laughs) Yeah. Hopefully, hopefully we're able to visit and do things safely and and meet up again and hang out. Man, I, I hope so. My fear is it's really going to be 2023 before things are somewhat normal again, but I guess we'll see. At this point, all we can do is wait and see and do our best so we can compensate for those that aren't. Yeah, booster shots are coming out now. Yeah. I think I think that will, you know, I think I think one thing that will help honestly is that uh a lot of the vaccines are now receiving FDA approval. Yeah. I think that will I think that will help bolster the some of the confidence of people who've maybe been on the fence. Like just having that like stamp of like officialness or something, I think will help. Yeah, absolutely. Fingers crossed. Yeah. We'll see. I, I, yep. we'll, we will see. <laughs> All right, man. I'm going to jump off here and say my goodbyes. Thanks again. I appreciate you joining me, and I will be in touch soon. Yeah, absolutely. All right, buddy. Later. Appreciate you. Later. Thank you for listening. And don't forget, you can join us live every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. Eastern at twitch.tv forward slash Jameson Doral. Every Tuesday, I'll have a new podcast episode ready for you. Be sure to follow me on all of my social media using the links in the show notes and join the Dev Team Discord to be a part of the conversation anytime. We'll see you soon.